Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. So we're excited to be here. Sorry it's taken us so long. We've, we've had a lot of things go on in this last few years, uh, and, and we'll talk some about that, especially tonight. But I want to introduce Connie uh, and have her share a little bit about the ministry that we've been working with there in Orlando uh, since we came back from Indonesia, uh, and the number of people that we have going out and, and the things that are going on to kind of give you a taste of what we'll talk about more tonight. Selamat pagi, ibu, ibu, dan bapa, bapa, dalam nama Tuhan Yesu. And I just greeted you in the name of the Lord Jesus in Indonesian. <laughs> and that's where we served uh, for over 10 years. So, but first to just introduce you to Pioneers, the ministry that we're with in Orlando, Florida, where we have the home office and uh, working there in the home office. I want to just give you a brief in- introduction this morning and hopefully entice you to come back tonight to hear more. Well, we will get this tonight for you rather than spend a lot of time with, with tech issues. I've been a sound man, uh, and, and when the Lord called us to go to Rama, the pastor and the pastor emeritus came to me and they said, don't let people know that you have technical skills. Because all you do is fix the copier and run the sound system, and you'll never have time to prepare your messages and, and minister to the people. And so uh, I'm an electrical engineer from Purdue. Uh, no offense to all you Illini folks. Uh, and I've been a ham radio operator since I was 12. Connie and I are second career missionaries. Uh, by that, I mean we started after our kids were grown. Uh, Our youngest was in the army uh, and our oldest uh, was uh, at college. In fact, we had to pack him up in the trailer uh, and unpack him at uh, the college to get him to move out of the house when we were going overseas. (laughs) And uh, by second career missionaries, we were in our mid-30s and God called and sent us. We went to Ramah. We didn't know exactly what God was going to do, but we heard go to Ramah. And after two years there, we worked for a ministry called Literacy Evangelism International. We taught Bible content, adult literacy, and we traveled around the world uh, with, travel, with only carry-on luggage for three months out of the year. We'd leave through the East Coast. We, we tried to go out through Boston and come back on the West Coast usually through Seattle. Uh, And we'd spend three months out where there was no electricity most of the time, and I had a a laptop designed by NASA that had a solar panel. And I would work on a vocabulary for the languages we worked in, and we taught people how to read using Bible stories. And so they learned to read, and they learned about Jesus, and as they did, they started asking questions and receiving it. And the last count I heard in India, one ministry that we worked with had 33,000 converts last year. Uh, And and so the work still goes on. There's still a viable ministry. So that's where we started. And when I came here and talked to Pastor Larry, he said, that's the most boring ministry I ever heard about teaching people to read. (laughs) 
And I thought, well, we're never going to connect. But God had a different plan. And I remember going in office, and, and he had a, a system for us missionaries that came by. He said, I got this, see this stack of papers over here? That's all the people that are wanting something that come here. And I put you on the bottom of the stack. And every day I'd look at one of these when I come into the office. And if God says do something, we do. Well, 30 years you've been doing something. And I'm telling you, the seed is sown all over the world. We've been around a lot of places, a lot of countries, and God has taken the work that you helped us do and multiplied it many, many times over. So we we are here to say thank you. God bless you. You are part of the start of our ministry. Connie. So we spent a little over 10 years in Indonesia. Uh, We worked in a... uh, helped start a Bible, st- a Bible school, helped them transition the Bible school to a seminary. And in uh, breaks between classes that we taught, uh, we were able to go over to the island of Sumatra and uh, do church planting, work with nationals to uh, see pl- uh, churches planted. And that ministry still goes on today because we had a missions pastor in uh, Ohio, in El- no, Indiana. Indiana. Fort Wayne, Indiana. They just loved this ministry that we had going. And so they ended up joining Pioneers. After we had come back, they joined Pioneers to go over and work in Indonesia in Sumatra. And they have had a great work going to continue that. And many, many churches have been built and lives saved because of that. So we just give God all the praise. And so when we returned, wanting to stay in ministry, we uh, ended up not having to go to the cold weather. Lord, I grew (laughs) up in Indiana. I love the cold weather, but I've been on the equator 10 years. I like the hot. I like the humid. I'll put my hand to the plow, but I would really. So we get the call, an invitation to come work at Pioneers. And they asked Kelly and I to start a church partnerships team. So the uh, mission statement for Pioneers is Pioneers mobilizes teams to glorify God by initiating church planting movements among the unreached in partnership with the local church. And so the board of directors said, you have a team for everything in your mission statement except for the last statement. You do not have a team for the local church. And that's where we're mobilizing people to go to the field. And that's where we need to make sure that that seed for missions is planted deep. And so they asked Kelly and I to start the team. The team has grown. And we are working with over 3,600 churches right now. And uh, they are either sending missionaries through Pioneers or supporting missionaries. And we're helping them keep that fire burning for missions how to mobilize their teams, how to resource the church so that they can do a good job in promoting missions so that God's word can go forth throughout the world. So come tonight, see the video, see some uh, good stories, and we'll, we're looking forward to being able to share with you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Connie. She was the favorite teacher at the seminary where we taught, um, and she was also the strictest. We used to teach four-hour-long classes, 
so forgive me if I forget the time. Do you have a big clock up there? It's pretty big, but you, you need a really big one sometime. In my Sunday school class, they had a little clock under the pulpit that I teach every Sunday, uh, and it, it just wasn't big enough. And so they kept getting bigger one and bigger one. Now they got one that's bigger than the pulpit. Uh, so they just kind of lean it up against the pulpit and, and remind me of the time. Because right after Sunday school, they go have coffee and donuts. We attend a spirit-filled Methodist church. Uh, there's a few of them left out there. Our pastor is ordained with the Foursquare Church. And he grew up the third-generation Assembly of God pastor's kid. Uh, so it's a, a long story, but... Connie got a, a special healing from the Lord. She was due to have surgery, uh, and we went there because we met an English evangelist in Tennessee at a church we were just stopped by to visit, uh, and we went to dinner with them, and they said, well, you're moving to Orlando? Best church we know in Orlando is Pine Castle United Methodist Church, and I grew up Methodist. And most of the time we talked about war and bombs and social issues, and we didn't talk about Jesus. And I thought, well, I'm not going to that church. And for two and a half years, we were miserable trying to find a church. And finally, we got desperate, and we went to Pine Castle United. And the first Sunday, they had four altar calls in the service. The pastor would just stop and have an altar call. And we had people falling out in the spirit. And we, we thought, well, this is pretty good. Let's come back the next week. The next week, she got her healing. She went up front. They had a call for healing. And, and I was praising the Lord. I had my eyes shut, and I looked over, and she was gone. And I saw her on the platform. And when the elder p- prayed for her, he said, when you get your healing and don't have to have this surgery, make sure you come back and tell the pastor because he likes to hear the, that thing that God's working. And that fired our faith up, and she called her doctor and said, I know I'm scheduled a week from now to have this surgery, and it was a serious surgery. And he said, yeah, so what? (laughs) Do you want to cancel? And she said, no, I want you to reexamine me because I believe God healed me. They went in, did the, the test, and he said, your tumor is all but gone. And we're not going to do the surgery. And the Jewish doctor got a testimony about the power of Jesus healing people. So we're, we decided this is a pretty good church. He said, oh, you got to take me fishing because my religion was bass fishing before I repented. Uh, and uh, I fished the tournament trails and tried, tried to be a pro, but I wasn't good enough. So. And he said, so take me out fishing. Your wife told me you like bass fishing. So we never have done that yet, have we? Today I want to shift gears on you a little bit. I've wrestled with the Lord for two, three weeks trying to get him to give me a different message than the one that he put on my heart. Because uh, I thought, well, that's not a mission message. And he said, well, you're going to do the evening service. and You do the mission stuff there. This is my mission. So what, what I want to share with you today is, comes out of Acts 27. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 27. And, and it's a familiar passage, and I want to share something. And I believe there's somebody special here that this is really designed maybe for uh, one person for sure and maybe more, but 
I'm telling you what, the more I get into it, the more I see God. So Acts chapter 27, I'm actually going to back up one verse into uh, the last verse 32 of Acts 26 and, and talk some context. But before I jump into the word, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your presence here. I thank you for a marvelous time of praise and worship and the anointing on those that led us right into that throne room of grace and mercy. Help us to bow down now and and receive that grace and mercy that's so available to us. Open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to things spiritual. Show us those places in our life where we need to give you more space, more room, more entrance. Lord, help us be those that obey. After you show us the way, help us obey. Help us to be the ones that will transform this world because of your presence in us. So today as we break open the word, show us things we may not have seen before. We've read, we think we know it, but Lord, show us something new. Give us life through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In Acts 26, verse 32, Agrippa, one of the leaders there, said to Festus, they were in a leadership transition, they said, this man, speaking of the Apostle Paul, might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. You know, Paul kept getting drug up in front of people because he lived for Christ. Here's a man who came from a a strong, religious, legalistic Jewish background and had a sudden transformation. The scales fell off his eyes, and that verse meant so much to me because I had scales on my eyes for a long time. And when I finally saw the truth, I thought, how could I have missed this? How could I have lived without this? And I had a burden so deep for people that, were blinded to the glorious truth of the gospel. It bothered me. I remember driving to work five days after I got filled with the Spirit. I repented for all my sins. 83-year-old, four-square elder led me in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he, he grabbed me by the hand. He said, son, I believe you were saved a long time ago, but you never learned any more beyond that. And you haven't talked to God in a long time, and we're going to pray. And he says, I'm going to take you to the throne of grace and mercy. And he grabbed me by the hand. We were sitting in two chairs side by side. He grabbed me by the hand, and he yanked me down to my knees on the floor. And, and he said, here we are. What do you want to say to God? And I broke. <laughs> And he laid hands on me and he said, God put the same fire in his bones that you gave me. And we went into warp drive. If you're Star Trek fans, you know what I mean. God became so real and so obvious in our lives that we thought, everybody needs this. Everybody needs this. And that's why we're here today. And that's why we went overseas. Our Indonesian friends would say, how can you leave your family and friends? It's because of him, because of Jesus. He gave us the desire to do something and made the way. Uh, It's an incredible story. We'll share more of it tonight. So Paul has been hauled up, and he's been holed up for a couple years now, and he'd always wanted to go to Rome. 
In fact, he asked to go to Rome. He said, get me there. And finally, the dam breaks. Have you ever had a desire to do something and it just wasn't happening? And then when it happened, it wasn't near what you wanted, what you thought. When I was thinking about titles for this message, I thought, I should say, this is a sermon on how to make bad decisions. (laughs) And then I thought, well, that's not very edifying and uplifting. And so I added, how not to make bad decisions. So we're going to see a contrast here in the life of Paul and those that were his captors that were keeping him imprisoned uh, as he is going to Rome to stand before the Roman courts uh, and state his case. There's four things I want you to see as we go along. It's real easy for us to make our own plans. When I first started in ministry as a missionary, we had to raise support. And I had been a salesman uh, for Carnation, and I was a headhunter and managed an executive search firm, and I knew how to persuade people, how to sell. And and they taught me when I worked in the grocery business, uh, calling on grocery stores and grocery accounts, how to work what they called the daisy pattern. And so I mapped out a hundred mile radius of Tulsa where we were living at the time. And I thought, I'll go out and I'll work my way out to here, to the church here and work my way back in. And I had a plan and I had a book and I had all my literature in it to persuade people that we need your support. Well, after three months, we had $25 a month pledged. And I was getting desperate because we had two kids, three cars, uh, and Connie was going to Rama. That was my plan. She was working in the children's ministry, and I was working in the parking lot while we were at Rama. And one evening, I came in after getting everybody settled, and we all that worked in the parking lot sat in the back row. And the youth group had made a trip to Arizona to minister. And they came there to minister uh, and set up a tent, and they were going to have a three-day youth revival. Well, it didn't work out. They got there, they got to the church, and the pastor said, we decided to cancel it. After they drove all the way, two vans and the trailers and all the kids were all excited and prepared, We're not going to do it. So Kent Booth was a youth minister in those days, and he he said, kids, don't worry. Let's go on down the road, and we'll stop and pray. They went down the road, and in Arizona, some of those roads there's not much traffic on. They pulled over to the side, and they stood in a circle and held hands and prayed. They said, God, we came all the way down here to minister to people, and we got canceled. We're shocked and surprised, and we don't know what to do, but we believe you do. And that spoke to my heart. God said, they had a plan. I got a different one. And while they were praying, a car went by, first car that they'd heard in like 10 minutes. Car went by, and they heard it stop, and it backed up. And the guy rolled down the window, and he said, hey, you guys got vehicle trouble, you know, it's hot out here, and uh, let me help you out. And they said, no, we're just 
praying, seeking the Lord's will. And he said, really? What's going on? And she said, well, we just came down here to do this youth revival, set up our tent and everything, and, and we found out it's not going to happen. And so we're asking God, what do we do? And he said, you know what? We just finished a revival at our church. We still got a tent set up. Why don't you just follow me and have your revival at our church? And 150 kids got saved that weekend when the Rhema Youth Group. And God said, see, they did it my way. They didn't have this plan all staked out. They thought they knew what they were going to do. They did it my way. And I said, so what do I do? And he said, tomorrow, get in your car and ask me every intersection you come to, whether to go straight, turn right, turn left, or stop. And it sounds crazy, but I loaded up my little Toyota with all my mission display and all my literature and stuff that I thought I needed, and I drove down the road. And one of the places I came was this church. And along the way, I'm not kidding you, I learned how to follow the Holy Spirit. Every intersection I'd come to, I'd say, Lord, do I go straight, do I go left or right? Now, I don't recommend this unless God tells you to do it that way. It was a hard way to learn because I'd drive by places and he'd, I'd get two, three miles down the road and inside I'd be going, Ehh. and he'd say, yeah, you missed it, turn around. And I'd go back. I drove to one church, beautiful little country church, white, old-fashioned shotgun church like Brother Hagin used to talk about. You could see through the front door and out the back. And... Nobody was there. But it was a beautifully manicured yard. The trees were all trimmed. It was in perfect order. And I thought, well, I'm going to leave my packet of information. And God prompted me, write a note. I said, you must really love the Lord because this property is stunningly beautiful. In the middle of wheat fields, it's gorgeous. And I got a, I stuck my card in and, and left that, shoved it under the door. And I got a note from that pastor. He said, I was preparing to quit. Because we're out in the middle of the country and people were dying off and there was really small church. They probably seat 60 at the most. He said, and hardly anybody shows up anymore. And I was giving up. And he said, and when I read your note, God said, don't quit doing the works, and I'm staying. That's what happens when you follow the Holy Spirit. What we're going to look at in Acts 27 is something different. In Acts 27, it was decided that they should sail to Italy in verse 1. They delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius. Julius was a centurion, an officer in the Augustine Regiment, the Roman army, and he was a pretty good guy. So they decided to get a ship and sail. Now, I was a Navy officer, and I learned a little bit about navigation and sailing. And in fact, I was in that part of the world on the USS America. And there's some things about the Mediterranean and and that area in Asia that are just pretty well established. There's a north to northeast wind that blows all the time out of Europe. And that's Sometimes of the year, it's stronger than others. And from Asia, 
periodically there's a big crosswind that blows from the north to the northwest, and they cross. And any time two winds cross on water, it creates what we call troubled waters. They pile up on each other, and you can't tell where it's coming from, and it's really hard to control a ship. I was in a bass uh, tournament in Lake of Egypt down south, uh, and they had a tornado go over. And we were in a bass boat, and the tornado it didn't touch down on us, but it went over us and spun us round and round. And that's what happens when you get in troubled waters. And that's what's happening to this vessel as they go on. So they went, and if I had my chart up here and could show you, they knew that it was a bad time of the year, so they went right up the coast and along the coast of Turkey, uh, and they were hiding from the wind, hoping to sail. They got to a point at the end of Turkey called Nidus. And at Nidus, then they had to start covering some open water. There's no more cover left. They had to go out into the, to the sea uh, and Mediterranean Sea and face this wind. And they had to sail into the wind. Well, the ship they picked out was a pretty good-sized one, and it was more of a barge than a, a real good sailing ship. So it didn't steer very well to begin with. They had it loaded with wheat to take over, and it was too heavy and too full. In fact, there were 276 people on board. And so it was a, a challenge to navigate that ship, tack into the wind, and halfway through their journey, something happened. In verse 10, in chapter 27, Paul says, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. But the centurion thought, well, who's this prisoner guy to tell us what to do? And so he didn't do anything. He didn't listen to Paul. He listened to the helmsman. I mean, it makes sense, right? To your head. The first bad decision that they made was they avoided the voice of experience. Tradition and experience said you don't want to sail at this time of the year across open water because it's rough. Small craft warning kind of thing. I've been in the Mediterranean, and there's areas where because of the land structure, the wind comes down through that little chute on the boot of Italy, and it funnels the wind in from all over Europe into a narrow thing, so it builds it up. Made the ship impossible to control. So they tried putting out anchors. They tried to find land that they could hide behind, and it didn't work. The second mistake they made, the bad decision they made, was they rushed to complete the mission. The centurion needed to get his men and his goods and this prisoner to Rome. And he knew he needed to go fast and do things quickly. And he was so impressed that he had to get this done that he struggled. When Paul said that word disaster... If you look it up in the Greek language, it's the word hubris. 
And so the original hearers of this scripture, they heard that word. You know what hubris means in English? Excessive pride, arrogance, overconfidence. You know what it means in Greek? Same thing. (laughs) That's where we get that word hubris. You hear it on the news every now and then. When they talk about people that overreach, they'll say, you know, he's just arrogant. He's got too much hubris. He made a mistake. He counted on himself. The centurion, the pilot of the ship, because they didn't have a connection with God, they couldn't hear what Paul was saying to him and, and see the wisdom in it. The third thing they did was they ignored the obvious. Halfway through their journey, they had to stop. They stopped in an island called Fair Havens. Down in verse 7 and 8. They had run into enough difficulty that they had to stop and they had to undergird the ship with ropes. These wooden ships get ripped apart by the, the wind and waves. And they thought, okay, here's what we do. We'll do this. And then we'll be ready to go again. But the worst part of the trip was a lot of open water between there and their next stopping point. And instead of paying attention... Instead of listening to the voice of experience, instead of ignoring the obvious, they, they should have listened to God, but they didn't. They followed their own understanding and not the Holy Spirit. And for a large part of my life, I did the same thing. And it didn't help. And all of a sudden, I found the peace of the Lord. When Paul talks about peace and the difference, he uses a word, irene, in the Greek. And that word talks about a a level of peace that passes all understanding, a, a level of peace that these people had no idea. And here they are in this troubled storm, and instead of waiting it out, finding a better place to harbor, they tried to take the shortcut, and it turned into the long cut. Because the winds from Asia came in, the Eurocliden, that word uh, that we use in English, Eurocliden, is typhoon. It's typhos. It's where we get our word typhoon. So they went through a typhoon. I've been through a couple typhoons, and you don't want to go there. They had the most difficult time, so they started to throw their their weed overboard, their tackle overboard, the things they needed to control the sails and the ship. They were that desperate that they were throwing everything away. Everything that they had value in, they had to let go of because they made bad decisions. They didn't listen to the man of God. They made four bad decisions. They ignored the voice of experience. They rushed to complete this mission. They felt like they had to do this and had to do it quickly. They ignored the obvious. They ran right into the typhoon because they didn't listen to the warnings from the man of God. And I'll tell you what, we can all do the same thing if we're not careful. In Indonesia, there were a lot of times when our heads said one thing and our hearts another. I think when we were here last time, It was because we had to evacuate, finally. In 1998, the government fell. In the first hour, 3,000 buildings were set on fire and destroyed. 
The riots were everywhere, and it was anarchy. We saw old ladies dragging refrigerators down the street on a, on a hand truck. We saw giant industrial valves getting stolen. People didn't even know what it was, but they thought, this is valuable, and, and they put it on a little cart and, and save it. Churches, 800 churches were burned the first day in, in our general region. Everybody was panicked. The embassy called us and said, we're going to evacuate you. We're sending Marines out to where you live to escort you to the airport. You have four hours. Get all your cash that you can. If you have your passport, if it's not locked up in a safe deposit box at the bank, don't worry, we'll get you out. Just bring those things, but travel light, one bag only. We had four hours to make a decision. They'd already burned down the mall in our area, and people were coming across the, the field towards our place. We could hear them, and the helicopters came rolling in, and the Indonesian Marines dropped, rappelled down online, shooting machine guns in front of this mob that was coming our way. And we're trying to make a decision. Should we leave? And you think what our heads were telling us? Our heads said, yeah, we should leave. And Connie looked at me, and, and she said, we need to pray. Thank God for wives. Because my head was saying, I've got to get her out of here. And Connie said, let's pray. And we prayed. We said, God, we didn't come here to run when the pressure came. We came here for the people here. And if we leave, how can we ever come back and, and minister to them? Because we came for a purpose. That was a time when we had to drop our plan, which was turn tail and run. And we stayed, and it was a blessing. We had trained 200 cell leaders in the eight satellite churches we had at the time. And our pastor, our Indonesian pastor, got on the national radio and did a Sunday service, and we did communion together in our cell groups that we had trained the leaders for all over the city in a time of peace. And people said, why didn't you leave? And we said, because we came here to share Jesus with you. And we have angels that protect us. I said, well, what do you do if the mob comes to your house? And I said, I'll open the gate and the front door and say, everything that's in there, God gave us. And if you want it, take it and talk to him afterwards. <laughs> See what he says about it. And they said, how can you do that? And I said, because we believe. We had the peace. Paul's a man of peace. Here's how to make decisions. Number one, get God's plan and direction. When, it's, when all the pressure of life comes on you, when the storm comes, get God's plan and direction. And boy, it helps if you've got somebody that you can pray with. If you're not married, if you're single, have a, have a prayer partner that is solid in the Lord, has a foundation. Because if you're by yourself, it's going to be more difficult. Get your church praying with you. Be focused and waiting on God's plan and direction. He always has a plan. One of my favorite things that I learned at, at Rama was, when in doubt, don't. When I find myself saying, well, we could do it this way, and we could do that, I realize I'm not walking by faith. And I always remember what Keith Moore taught us in one of his classes. Some of you probably know Keith. I don't know. Has he been here? 
One, one day when I was trying to make a big decision and I wasn't feeling very full of faith, he said, faith rejoices, gives thanks, and is glad. Doubt despairs, complains, and is sad. And I've always called that my faith barometer. Faith rejoices, gives thanks, and is glad. If you find yourself complaining, murmuring, you're in despair, you don't think you're ever going to get out from under the debt, you're never going to find another job, Uh, you've moved over out of that faith position into doubt. Faith rejoices, gives thanks, and is glad. Doubt complains, despairs, and is sad. Faith barometer for you. Have faith in God's plan, and don't allow your pride, your hubris, to get in the way of that, to distract and mislead you. When you think you can do it, you need to put the brake on and say, God, I think I can do this, but are you with me in this? And listen. Learn to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. It's the greatest gift that God has given, along with our salvation. Salvation should be enough, but he gave us even more. He gave us a a way to hear and understand and operate. Have faith in his plan. When God said through Paul that I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the ship and cargo, but also of our lives, our men, they didn't listen. We need to listen to the voice of God. React to it. I know you all know that, but doggone it, it's hard to do it sometimes. I always told my students, it's easy to hear it, it's hard to do it. And what goes in one ear quickly comes out the other ear if you're not careful. You've got to get it down in your heart. Obey God. Hear from God, believe in God, and act on it. You know, faith is acting on God's word. And it can be this word, or it can be the impression that he gives us, the things that he shares with us in a storm. Paul had to do something. He spoke up once and they didn't listen, but he didn't stop there. He spoke up several times in this chapter. And because of that, they got so desperate, they actually began to listen to him. That's the way we are. Often, we'll do anything we can to do it our way. The president of Indonesia used to sing that song, I did it my way. (laughs) And he didn't last long because of it. When When the government fell, the vice president was the leader of the Indonesian Muslim Scholars Association, very devout Muslim. German educated engineer. Uh, He is a really brilliant guy. And he invited our Indonesian pastor and the leader of our denomination there, the Indonesian Full Gospel Fellowship. He invited us to go to the presidential palace and pray. Muslim leader invited. And he said, should I run for president? Because we had to have a re-election. And Christian leaders surrounded him and prayed and Bless our heart. Our pastor told the Muslim scholar 
the leader of this national association, honored all over the world, and the vice president who was acting as president, he said, I have a word from God for you. And he said, you should not run. And he did not. And his testimony was, I didn't, he goes, I felt something when you Christians prayed. And he goes, I didn't know you knew how to pray like that. And he said, I knew it was God. When God's got a plan and you act, Pastor Jimmy said, that was one of the most fearful moments of my life. To tell the Indonesian vice president, don't run. Because he's a guy with, uh, he really wanted to be president. And he had his chance. But when God spoke, he heard it. And he's a Muslim. How much more should we obey God? This story's got a happy ending. All 276 of these guys made it. Some of them, it says in verse 44, some of them swam aboard, and the rest, some on boards and parts of the ship. You may go in a storm, and you may think this is the end, but be watching for the board or the part of the ship that God runs by you to hang on to. There's always a way of escape. In the worst situations you've ever seen, God shows up and be watching, be watchful, because you may miss it if you don't watch him. That's my message for you today. When God called us to the ministry, and we, after about a week of enjoying the Holy Spirit, I said, God, I'm, I'm making this whole thing up. And I was driving to work in Portland, Oregon, on I-5, up a mountain. There's an 800-foot drop on the right and a little bitty guardrail about that high. And the sun was shining in my eyes. I saw Mount Hood. I was talking to God because the guy that led me in the baptism of the Holy Spirit said, whenever you're alone, you can talk to God in that new language you got. And, And I said, hey, God, I must be driving you nuts. I must be like a kid with a noisy toy. I'm just babbling. I don't even understand what I'm saying, but it feels so good and so right. And my car filled up with laughter. And I pulled over to the side of the road, and I'm driving a five-speed on this pretty steep road. I pulled over, and I pulled the handbrake up, and, and my knees started shaking. I thought, the God of this universe just laughed in my car. I thought, I better say something to him because I got his attention. And I said, what does it mean? And God said this. He said, you will be a pipeline. And I thought, why am I thinking about pipeline? I don't have any clients that are in that, that industry that I'm working with. It's not in my normal line of thought. Why am I thinking that? He flashed a vision of me when I was eight years old. And nobody would listen to me reading the Gospel of John to them anymore. They called me preacher boy and they made fun of me. I would go down and I would preach to minnows and crawfish in the creek. And I'd sit there and I'd I'd tell them about Jesus. And he flashed an image of me sitting there. And I, vivid as I'll get out. And I I said, but God, what's it mean? And he said... I will flow things from heaven 
through you. But don't stop telling me what you see with your eyes. Because I love it. And to this day, I walk around and I just go, Lord, great tree, great flower, great snake. <laughs> we, we have a snake I call Buddy that lives in our front, the bush in front of our door. Uh, it's an eastern racer, you know, blue racer. And uh, it's just nice. She has babies there every year. Uh, and they keep the rats. In the, and we have cockroaches about this big in Florida. And I, I love this world that God's created. And it, it's sad to see some of the things we do to it sometimes because we're not obeying God. Here's the message God's got for you. The peace of the Lord that passes all understanding is yours. Paul had it throughout that all. And because of his peace, people finally listened. And because of your peace, God will listen to you. That's what he wants you to know today. And no matter what the storm is, there's always a remnant, a piece of that that you can hang on to. And who knows? He'll rebuild it for you. I've had my dreams demolished and remade. We wanted to stay in Indonesia the rest of our lives, and I couldn't do it health-wise. We came back, and I had a quadruple bypass and a bunch of other stuff. And we have a more productive ministry now because we let go of what we're doing, and we have 150 of our students that we still stay in touch with that are planting churches all over the globe. Tonight, we're going to share some more of that kind of information and what God's doing around the world. The fastest-growing Christian church in the world today, per capita, is a Christian church in Iran. The second fastest-growing church in the world today is a Christian church in Afghanistan. Those people are in a storm. Syria is in a storm. The whole Middle East is in a storm. Tonight we're going to show you that we have 43% of the workers at Pioneers that are working with Muslim in that part of the world. And God's doing things. We just can't tell you everything. But just know he's moving. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. I don't know who it's for, but I pray that something that you said through me will touch a heart and change them. And most of all, Lord, I pray that just like my eyes were blinded to the truth of the glorious gospel, that those scales would fall away. People's eyes would be opened and they could see clearly what you're doing, who you are, and how much you desire to bring them close. Relationship, relationship. And so, Lord, I pray if there's one in this house that hasn't ever made the peace that passes all understanding a part of his life, that, that Lord, you'll revere yourself through the Holy Spirit now. I know most of us are probably believers, but, Lord, please if there's anyone here that hasn't responded, or like I was, I went to church for my entire youth, didn't walk away till I got in college, didn't walk away from church, but I sure walked away from you, even though you amazingly did things in my life as an eight-year-old boy. I pray, Father, if there's one in the house that hasn't made that peace, that you'll touch their heart right now. And Father, I ask you to, Stir them up. 
and give them no peace until they meet with the Prince of Peace. That's my prayer today, Lord, that you'll stir us up. Help us stand steady and strong in a storm, believing you and walking by faith and not by sight. Not being moved by what we see, but moved by what we hear from you. Guide us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.